This is Tom Donnelly with Akata. Our podcast, Profiles in Digital Leadership, Fraud versus Friction, is a series of interviews with e-commerce, fintech, law enforcement, and global thought leaders. We will focus on fraud prevention and customer experience best practices that everyone should know about. We're excited to have Ori Eisen on today's podcast. Ori is talking to us from Scottsdale, Arizona. Because of the pandemic, we were able to pin him down to one location. Otherwise, he would have been globetrotting, talking about his amazing vision of the future that does not include passwords. Ori, we've known each other for many, many years, and you've spent a couple decades now fighting online crime. Let's talk about the ebb and flow of these efforts to fight fraud online. Thank you, Tom, first of all, for having me. Congratulations to you and the Ekata team on your recent news. Uh, and thank you for waking up there in Singapore uh, for having this. It's uh, nice to see and hear you again. You're right. In the last 20 years, we've seen a lot of ebb and flow. And I do think it's a result of us being in a cat and mouse game, almost like an arms race. If you develop something that the bad guys have never seen, it's very good at the beginning. And then after a while, they'll learn how to avoid it, publish a recipe to their friends. And before you know it, they're passing many of the hurdles we put in front of them in fraud detection and risk management. So I think that will not change, actually. We will see the next 20 years the same kind of ebb and flow for a simple reason. You have good people on the good side trying to curb the funding of evil, and you have who are very, very motivated who make a lot of money, last I checked when I read the news, when they manage to bypass us. So that will continue. I think the technologies will change and the people who are doing the fighting will change, but that is probably going to be the status quo for the next generation as well on the internet. Well, and Ori, would you agree with me that one of the advantages that the, the bad guys, the global crime rings have, is that they have a, what do you want to say, a sophisticated communication network? And for the good guys defending their companies from that type of fraud or those attacks, it's more difficult to communicate. And, and you were one of the first people to bring, you were one of the founders of the Merchant Risk Council. You were one of the first people to bring issuers to the table. There wasn't a natural communication flow between issuers and merchants. Let's go back and roughly you know, tell us what that time frame was, what was the state of the industry, and what was your motivation to get issuers to the table at that time? Well, when this started in the early 2000s, the internet was brand new. To remind you, Amazon was founded with a great investment in 1999. And then all of a sudden, you had fraud that no one has ever seen before, coming with the form of bots and stolen credit cards and fake emails. So that confluence really created the perfect storm that if you fraud manager at any of the merchants, you really were attacked in a way that there was no book to go read about how to fight it. So together with the early, early folks who formed the Merchant Fraud Squad, and if you know what that means, you just dated yourself, we met in San Francisco to say, hey, can we exchange tricks and tips and know-how because no one knew how to solve it, and uh, we wanted to fight the bad guys. Today, as you know, uh, by being involved yourself, Tom, the MRC is a big organization that has annual shows, and it is uh, more established than ever. But the point you bring up, I think, exists also in cybercrime, not just in merchants and payments, 
if you were a CISO at a large organization and you were just being attacked or you were going to a ransomware event, there's no good way for you to share it for a few reasons. If you work for a public company, you don't want that to leak and to create a PR nightmare. So you'd kind of prefer to keep it to yourself. There's also the shame of this happened to me. Maybe I wasn't good enough and no one wants to say that this thing happened to them. But I think the bad guys have an advantage above all where they can communicate in the dark web in almost complete obscurity without being caught. And yet us, the good guys, have reservations about sharing the things that happen to us. So as you can see, it is not a fair fight in that sense. Sharing information is an absolute key for anybody to succeed. For example, if you look at the aviation industry, they report all the accidents and the near misses because they want people's lives saved and they want airplanes to be safe, right? We still don't have that in either merchant risk or in cybersecurity. And I hope as we go into the future that government will realize that sharing this know-how is a key in order to turn the tide on this war. And or you, the something we didn't discuss, but I bet you have an opinion on it. I'm listening to a podcast by a gentleman named Michael Lewis, and it's called Against the Rules. And it's about the different parts of our lives where there just isn't a referee anymore, or the referees or the judges are just being abused horribly. So I don't think in the realm of fraud prevention, government has given much credence and not much is expected. But do you have any experiences of good interaction with government in regard to the promotion of these safeguards and the communication? And do you have specific ideas about what government could do? And I guess we should talk specifically of the U.S. government, what it could do to help corporate entities defend themselves better. If we had this very podcast, even a week ago, I would say not so much because it's all been stymied. I'm happy to see that at least now we got some glimmer of hope from the White House that basically say in 180 days, you guys will have 2FA. I mean, why did we have to wait years and years and years for that to become a standard? And I think everybody should know this is good for everybody. So I do think the US government now is making some of the early steps and really leveling up where we should have been, I think, 10 years ago, but better late than never. And I think the government should create, and I hope will create, something similar to the FAA that cybersecurity professionals could report what is happening with immunity. Because if we fear lawyers and suits and malpractice and all those things, if we need to expose what happened to us so we can learn, again, we are letting the good guys be kind of encumbered with things they shouldn't be. So... That's the only step I think that we're missing. There's plenty of good guys. I know you know who they are. I know you know who they are. They're around us. They want to do the right thing. But under the current corporate structure, they just can't easily do it. So once we break those rules and we can allow people to exchange information, man, we will uh, level up like never before. Speaking of breaking the rules... You've had a few years of hanging out with convicted former criminals, Kevin Mitnick, Frank Abagnale, a few others. They are now on the good side. They're out doing white hat hacking, educating consumers and businesses about attacks and fraud schemes. What's that been like for you to see them become educators? And how have you seen public or corporate conversations change because of their speaking and their education? 
I can tell you that was going against the grain with my fellow cybercrime fighters and especially people from law enforcement. Some of them just think if you were once a criminal, you're a criminal for a lifetime. I just don't subscribe to that point of view for a simple reason. If you would listen to what these guys have to say, they can shorten your investigation from months to hours. When I, I used to work at a credit card company, if you'd catch somebody, part of a plea deal would be, hey, if you'll tell us how you did it, we can shave off a few months from your you know, serving time. And it would save us from figuring out how you exactly did that. I think if anybody who was once a criminal now wants to help the good guys, let them. That doesn't whitewash what they did. I mean, I condone what they've done. But if they want to help the good guys fight and they're doing it wholeheartedly, let them do it. Don't shush them. And if somebody chooses to stay on the bed, let them do that. It's just part of the problem. But people like Kevin, and if they want to help, I am of the opinion that we should at least let them do that. And again, that does not absolve or, or changes the history. I'm sure they have to live with what they've done for the rest of their lives. But I'm here to curb the finding of evil. And anybody who wants to help is invited. That's wonderful. My first engagement with Kevin Mitnick was when you invited him to speak at the Merchant Risk Council Conference in Las Vegas. About 600 people in the room. No one would volunteer to go up on stage with Kevin. And I think Ori yelled, Tom will do it. I went up and he asked me a few questions. And within 30 seconds, he had my social security number, my mother's maiden name up on the screen in front of, I think at that time, about 600 people. That conference is now about 2,000. And immediately, one of the identity theft companies came up to me and gave me a free card and said, you'll be needing this now, Tom. <laughs> yes. I do remember that day. And I do remember you were brave. I will also remind you another thing, which I hope uh, the people who do this podcast, if they have a company that brings a service, will listen to. I was one of the first people, and it was back in the days of 41st Parameter, one of the company before I'm with now, Trusona, where we would invite people like Kevin to break our stuff. Yeah. And I know, again, no one likes to be told, hey, you have a bug or you have something broken. No one likes that. But I'm of the belief that if you let white hats, black hats, gray hats crack what you have, you would really know the strength of it. And people like Kevin... Just think about the world differently than normal people. I mean, that's what makes him who he is and Frank who he is. And I don't think that way. I mean, I'm sure you are not thinking that way, Tom. So letting them kind of play and try to attack you in a safe environment and learn from it, I think makes solution way better than just us good people developing it and hope it will withstand the, the hackers of the world. Well, for the dozens of listeners that we have on this podcast, Ori, I couldn't attack you today because it's your birthday, for heaven's sakes. Why would I do such hey. a thing? So I remember specifically visiting the 41st Parameter Office in Scottsdale, and you very proudly showed me one of the conference rooms that was named after your first customer. So you've always mm -hmm. had a customer-centric focus in the businesses that you've built, and we'll get to Trusona in a little bit. But I'm, I'm curious, so you had the experience with Amex, you did some work with Ferrisign, you were able to build and then exit from 41st Parameter. What's perhaps one of the most proud achievements from your career so far? Without getting emotional about it, I think that customer you're talking about that uh, everyone was named after, 
collaborated with us in a way beyond just being a customer. The tough moment we had where we had to tell this customer, do you realize that some of the traffic that is going through your company, unbeknownst to you, is supporting child pornography? And let me tell you, that is not a simple conversation to have with anybody. And of course, they were a bit defensive at first. So I went on a plane. I went directly to the owners of the company. I sat with them and I explained to them, this is a really simple matter. You're either going to become part of the problem and we will need to eradicate it and chase you. Or this is a golden moment to realize you didn't know. Let's report it to authorities and you'll be part of the solution. And I can tell you the bravery company still is why I wake up every day because I believe people are good. And when you show can do the right thing, most people will do the right thing. The proudest moment for me is in every time we could see that we're preventing crime from happening. And that could be funding of uh, narcotic sales or weapon sales or terrorism or human trafficking or child exploitation online. Any one of those things, Tom beats any bonus I ever got, any promotion I ever got. It just doesn't even compare because then you really feel what your mission in life is, what you're all about. I live for those days and as I can keep doing it, I will. Fantastic. Um, Akata is a supporter of an organization that one of your former employees works for, Kirsten Borse, called Thorn. And they also help prevent child trafficking and, and human slavery. So I'm really, really excited that you provided that example, Corey. Yeah. Let's skip TrueSona right now and password because we'll get to that right at the next question. But outside of the issues that consumers uh, disliking and, and really the, the outdated mode of using passwords everywhere, what, do you have any other predictions related to fraud prevention that we haven't covered yet? I'll say there's two more phases before we will have to rethink everything. And it's probably 10 to 15 years out. The first phase would be realizing that all the information that was leaked already as a result of breaches, as a result of credit bureaus being breached, will cause a wave of fraud that we have never seen before. And if you just read the paper about the unemployment insurance fraud and the ability of people to just fake identities based on knowing where they live and knowing their date of birth and knowing, you know, your mother's maiden name, that problem is not yet being fixed. And I do think it will take us a few years to realize relying on anything that is static is not a good idea. And the next phase after that is really technological driven. And I, again, I hope it will not do what I'm suggesting it will, but I do think it will, which is as soon as quantum computing become a thing most can reach, just like today, cloud computing, anybody who pays a hundred bucks an instance I do think we will have to rethink cryptography and the entire setup of the internet as we know it today, because the assumption that you can't break the cipher in a hundred years will simply not be true. We're literally counting on the fact that the keys are that long and computing power is this slow, so it will take so many years to break it. But if I told you that that goes away and a computer can now break something in minutes, I think we will have to rethink the internet again. And I think that will be the next generation who will solve it, Tom, not you and I. And the author, Joseph Men, has proposed a green internet and a red internet. In essence, you know, military encryption for systems where we're making payments or we're doing important transactions. And if you're doing, you know, social 
posts and that sort of thing. It can be on the green internet where everybody has access to it. I mean, I think I don't know how realistic, you know, I'm not a tech guy. I don't know how realistic that is. What, what are your thoughts on like different systems for important transactions? Well, let's do this. I will ask the people who edit this podcast to search on the internet article by Joe Mann while he was still at the Financial Times interviewing me about a concept called I2, which is exactly mm -hmm. that. Leave the current internet, I1, as it's good for streaming cat videos. It's perfect for that. But let's build another rail, which will be, as you said, as authenticated as possible with identity proofing. That article is from 2012, I believe. We have yet, I think, as a society, Tom, to experience enough pain to actually do it because that is exactly what my company, Trisona, set out to do, to start that second leg of the internet that will be bulletproof. And let me tell you, we've developed it. We have it. It even has insurance. But people don't want to be encumbered yet with the interview you need to go to really prove that it's you and to carry a token that is super duper safe. We can still go a few more years with the pain we have today. But I do agree with Mr. Mann, a second internet that is bulletproof will have to be erected because the status quo is just not going to last. Worry, let's talk about changing passwords. Not literally like eight characters with an exclamation point and a capital. I'm talking about getting rid of them. Tell me about the origin of this mission for Trusona. Did you have the idea when you were still at 41st Parameter? Did it come up at an awesome coffee shop in Scottsdale in between these companies? <laughs> What was the seed of building this company that you currently lead? Yeah, I actually tell the story at Orientation Day at Trisona. I literally imagine my last day at 41st Parameter as a fighting fraud with algorithmic work and shades of gray. I turn my seat. In fact, I'm sitting on the same chair right now because that's the only thing I got from my last employer, which I love. And I turn around and I live in Arizona and I'm looking at this field that has shrubbery and sand and a single cactus. And I'm not joking. I'll even send you the picture of this cactus because it's documented. And imagine a very old cactus that have the main branch of it and some holes in it because birds already picked at it and build nest in there. And then a single hand is new and it's filled with thorns. So no bird would ever touch it. And I'm looking at this cactus says, oh, my God, this is exactly what we need to do. <laughs> Leave the old gardens is it's already picked at and you can't really fix it. Let's start a new branch that will be, again, military security. So the origin of Trusona really began from that moment. I went to the same investors. We had this article that, again, I'll suggest your readers will read by Joseph Mann about what if we created something that is bulletproof, which everybody thought can't be done. I can tell you categorically, it can be done, it was done, it exists, but we love convenience more than security at this point. And I totally get it, I understand. Even people who go to an airplane don't like to go through the TSA, even though what it really means is that they'll get safe home, right? I get it. The minute you want to have something that is bulletproof, it can be done, but we can't do it with static username and passwords. Those days are over. How do we get to this? One company alone cannot create the environment to get rid of passwords, Ori. How, what sort of progress have you seen in the industry or with regulatory bodies to help make this vision a reality? 
first of all, you're absolutely right. No company can do it alone, but you need a spark, right? You need somebody to start with a vision that says, hey, the internet without passion, we need to apply ourselves towards it. I'm happy to tell you that today you have companies like Microsoft, Google, others who are publicly pushing the notion of going passwordless after Trisona kind of pioneered the idea. I think with bodies like Oasis, bodies like Fido, brave new companies that realize, hey, there is a future like that and there's a business model behind it. I would love to see many companies even compete with us just because we will get to that future faster. I can't do it all over the world. No one company can. So while I don't like the competition per se, I do like the end of it, which would be curbing the funding of evil as a result. And Tom, if anybody listens to this right now, and they are either protecting healthcare records or financial records or cryptocurrency coins or whatever, thing that has value that is intrinsic in the underground, man, you do not want to use username and passwords for two simple reasons. One, the whatever username and password gives you, they probably already have given it or using it 30 other places that may already have been breached. So you are pretending to have a lock on the door, but that lock is easily picked by anybody who breached something else. And the second is with the manifestation of malware on so many people's computers, I just need to type it in once and that's it. Malware can listen to the session, copy it, and that's it. You will get my credentials, but that doesn't mean you got me. And for that reason, we called the company, Tom, TrueSona, which is a fusion of true and persona. It's no longer important to validate the username and password because that is not Tom Donnelly. That is right. Tom Donnelly's static key. That is not you. I think the next level has to be to know that it's you, the carbon form, and nothing else. Yep. That connection. As I like to say, no one is interacting with the internet telepathically. There is a device in there <laughs> and then a carbon form on the other side. Ori, let's wrap up with one question. And I think this is especially personal because your son, Dan, is pursuing studies in cyber intelligence and cyber defense. What sort of wish do you have for Dan and his generation as they embark on careers in this space to defend the good guys? First of all, I'll tell him a good luck. It's a noble cause, a noble mission. And man, we need more people. Last night, I read an article in my newsfeed that the U.S. now has 500,000 open cybersecurity jobs, just anywhere near the number of grads that will go into this field. Yep. What I hope he will do in his generation is to take all the work that we have started with early efforts like the Merchant Risk Council, with early efforts of putting defenses against what we saw into making sure the internet will not have passwords as the way of the normal way to get in, there has to be with dynamic keys that are cryptographically sealed. And I also hope for him and his generations after that they will find uh, some way to cure what quantum computing will unleash. Because I think that uh, that is a Pandora's box that we have yet to see the results of. Fantastic. More wishes for uh, computing power and brilliance on the behalf of good work. Thank you, Ori Eisen. Thank you, Tom and Ekata for having me. It's great to talk with you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you're a global leader interested in speaking with us on a future episode, please email podcast at akata.com. That's it for today. Until next time, take care. Take care.